0: Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and spider-eating man-bitch Noelle LaCroix.
1: (laughs) And I'm story expert and dark master, Bader Lonnie Diane Rich, and we're here today
0: to talk about Buffy vs. Dracula, the first episode of Season 5. Buffy vs. Dracula aired on September 26th, 2000, and was written by Marty Noxon, and boy was it ever... (laughs) Nothing is ever Noxent more than this is (laughs) Noxent. And directed by David Solomon.
1: All right. As everybody knows, we are a fully spoiled Buffy podcast. That means that we may talk about anything that happens in the entire run of Buffy. We might pull in Angel. We might pull in the comics. You just never actually know. So if you are spoiler sensitive, you're going to want to make sure that you have watched all of Buffy before you come and hang out with us. But make sure that you come on back because it is totally worth it. You are strange and off-putting. So let's go on patrol. (laughs) In Buffy vs. Dracula, we open with Buffy sneaking out of her bed in the middle of the night to go on patrol, leaving Riley alone and Joyce apparently with her music playing really loud. Buffy goes to the graveyard and finds a very stakeable vampire. She does a flip, stakes the vamp, nails the landing, and gets almost full tens from all the judges except the German judge because nothing is ever good enough for that bitch. I can say that. I'm German. Buffy gets back in bed with Riley, and he is none the wiser, which is usually the case with Riley. His brain situation isn't improved when Buffy nails him in the head with a football the next day at the beach, which has become the gif that keeps
0: on giffin'. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Willow starts a fire that leads to a torrential downpour that runs them off the beach. Later that night, with the rain still pouring, two guys are unloading a big coffin-shaped box off a truck. A hand busts out of the box and kills one of them with a single swipe. The next day, Willow is at Giles's scanning his entire library into the computer, but isn't happy when he tells her why. He's going back to England. She tries to talk him out of it, but he knows he's not needed there anymore. Joyce and Buffy have dinner, and when Joyce suggests they spend a little more time together, Buffy begs off, itching to get out into the night and slay. While out, she bumps into a tall, exceedingly pale man with a weird accent who is clearly demonic and during the ceremonial pre-slay banter, he formally introduces himself. I'm Dracula get out while willow discusses the moral implications of secret keeping with xander while
1: walking through the graveyard to meet up with buffy buffy and dracula chat dracula tells her that her power is rooted in darkness and buffy denies it she gets annoyed and tries to stake him but he turns into smoke willow and xander show up and buffy tells them it's dracula Drax says now is not the time and turns into a bunch of bats like a gothy drama queen they go back to Giles's to report in about the sexy new Dracula in town, and when Giles says they'll need to separate fact from fiction, Willow loudly points out how valuable that insight is. Riley and Xander want to go and slay the guy, but Buffy decides it's best to hang back and figure out what they're dealing with first. Riley is, of course, insecure about sexy new Dracula, and Buffy reassures him. A similarly insecure vibe is playing out between Xander and Anya, as she remembers how sexy Drac was back in the day. While they talk, they are quietly stalked by a wolf on the rooftops. Anya goes home, and Xander walks away on his own. Dracula apparates before him and immediately
0: puts the whammy on Xander. Come on, puppy shirt. Pucker on up, because you can kiss your pale-ass good. Yes, master. Riley goes to Spike's crypt, looking for information on Dracula. Of course, Spike knows him, too, but isn't too impressed by him. Riley reports that Dracula is in town gunning for Buffy and he wants to take him out. Spike tells Riley that he's no match for Dracula, and Riley knows it's true, so he threatens Spike. At home, Buffy sleeps while Dracula enters her room as smoke. He asks her about the scar on her neck where Angel bit her, and then bites her in the same spot, and she lets him. I can feel your hunger.
1: The next morning, Buffy wakes up with a fresh wound from Dracula's bite, and she covers it with a scarf. At Giles's, Xander is clearly serving the Dark Master. While they gather to figure out how to beat Dracula. Willow has done the research, but only because Giles told her where to find it (laughs) and says that Dracula likes to make a connection with his victims, controlling their minds and appearing in dreams. Buffy tries to leave, but Riley chases after her, accusing her of being under the thrall of the Dark Prince as he pulls the scarf from her neck and reveals the bite to everyone. They decide that Buffy needs to hide while Giles and Riley search for Dracula, and Willow and Tara de-invite Drac from the house. Xander says that Buffy can hang out at his place. Once there, he stuffs Anya in the closet and suggests a change of plans to
0: Buffy. I'm supposed to deliver you to the master now. There's this whole deal where I get to be immortal. You cool with that? Take me to him. Xander delivers Buffy to Drac's mansion and Buffy tries to resist, but she's still under his thrall. He tells her that once he turns her immortal, he will tell her all about her power and what she can do. She refuses the offer, but she doesn't sound that sure about it. Meanwhile, Giles and Riley break into the castle and get immediately separated. Riley bumps into Xander, who says that if Riley wants to get to the master, he has to go through him. He barely gets the words out before Riley punches him in the face and knocks him out. Elsewhere in the castle, Giles falls into a paranormal porn movie. You would be the
1: three sisters, yes? Uh, I'd heard that you were myth. Obviously her own ah! yeah. Dracula offers she, Buffy a taste of his blood, but says that it's not enough to turn her. Basically, the vampire version of Just the Tip. She does it and flashes on the source of her own power, and it wakes her up. She shoves him across the table and is no longer under his thrall. She fights him. Riley pulls Giles out of the paranormal porn pit, and they go look for Buffy. Buffy and Dracula fight, and she manages to stake him. Giles and Riley find her, and she tells them that Drac is Eurotrashed. And then Xander rushes in with a flaming torch and a hell of a grudge.
0: I'm sick of this crap. I'm sick of being the guy who eats insects and gets the funny syphilis. As of this moment, it's over. I'm finished being everybody's butt monkey! The next day, Giles calls Buffy to his house to give her the news that he's leaving. But before he can tell her, Buffy has something to ask him first. She wants to understand her power, but she's afraid. She needs him to be her watcher again. She asks him what he wanted to talk about, and smiling, he says, nothing. Later, at the house, Buffy tells Joyce that she and Riley are going to the movies, and Joyce has a suggestion. Buffy? If you're going out, why don't you take your sister? Mom.
1: Okay, so Noel, here we are the beginning of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer season 5 and I have to say I am very very excited because I love season 5 so much, but I've never been a big fan of this episode. So I'm curious what you thought of
0: it. I had again, once again, I had kind of <laughs> forgotten this episode. Um It's forgettable. It's, yeah. I mean it's forgettable and it's it's a weird way to open a new season but also is. not really um, <laughs> yeah. in a way. I mean, as I was watching it, the question that I kept like the question that kept coming to me was, is this camp? It yeah. feels really campy. Um, mm-hmm. And just over and over and over again, I'm like, how, how, no, <laughs> how serious do <laughs> I take this? Basically is what I was right. asking myself. Mm-hmm. And I, I've, I feel sort of conflicted because it doesn't feel like Buffy, really. Right. Right. But I like mm-hmm. it. Like, I enjoy the yeah. ways in which it doesn't feel like Buffy. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I think this is camp. I mean, in some ways it okay. really seems to be, right? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I and mean, for definitions of camp, um, the aesthetic, you can look to Susan Sontag's 1964 essay notes on camp, where she mentions key elements of camp being artifice, frivolity, naive middle class pretentiousness, and shocking excess. Uh So that's, I mean, that's like real scholarly. (laughs) We want to bring it down just a little bit. (laughs) We can talk about camp and its association with the word cheesy. Camp gets called Uh cheesy a lot, Yeah, Um, Mm -hmm. which is a word I personally bounce off pretty hard because it Mm -hmm. also strikes me as a word that gets lobbed at things of or pertaining to femininity or things that are deemed effeminate, a.k.a. Mm -hmm. unmanly, a.k.a. the patriarchy is why we can't have nice things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But Mm -hmm. camp, actually, camp is listed among synonyms for effeminate. Oh, interesting. Which I find interesting and problematic to use my favorite phrase um yeah and there is something there is something really I mean there's something very feminine and very effeminate about this episode and I'll get to that in Mm -hmm. a moment um but there's also this seriousness and weight to the potential ridiculousness of this situation Right. Dracula, Mm -hmm. like the Dracula, the most famous vampire vampire possibly ever Mm -hmm. is in Sunnydale. And the show is playing it completely straight. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. and of course, seriousness is in the eye of the beholder. So, you know, and similarly, what can be a joke (laughs) is in the eye of the beholder. But. Buffy versus Dracula feels to me both very serious and very not serious. Yeah. We're joking mm-hmm. the whole time, but also absolutely not joking. Right. And to me, that is camp as a row of tents.
1: <laughs> it's funny. I've never really thought about it as camp because camp to me, I've never made the association with uh with effeminate, but now that you bring it up, like I can see. Where where that association comes from, and the fact that it's you know it, as a list of synonyms, synonyms, clearly you're not the only person to have seen that. Um, but camp to me is like this this wildly over the top, completely ridiculous, you know um, sort of presentation, right? Um, and I think that that Buffy versus Dracula has some of that, like l- borrowing Dracula from another universe. You know, like with different rules feels really weird Um, because it because the rules then don't apply to him. Like these are the rules that he supposedly set up. Right. Because Spike was complaining as soon as Dracula gets all famous, then everybody knows how to kill us. They know about the mirror thing. Right. Right. So there's all of that. But then we give him all of these additional powers, like the fact that he can get dusted and then just reform and from smoke yeah. back into his his self you know um So all of these things, the the turning into bats, which is something that our standard garden variety vampire on Buffy the Vampire Slayer does not do. Like there are rules to the world Mm -hmm. and Dracula comes right in and immediately breaks all of those rules, which to me is a signal that this both is and is not of the world of of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that this is something different, that the world in itself has changed, Mm -hmm. which by the end of the episode we discover is true. Because Dawn is there. Right. Right? Dawn is suddenly there, and it is as though she has always been there. So one thing that I that I find really interesting in the context of all of season five is that is this a space in which the monks who were creating Dawn, which I imagine, I mean, it takes my computer a little while to, like, export an MP3, you know, when I'm editing a podcast. So I imagine for the monks, there must have been, like, a, a, a buffering process there, right? Totally. Where they're building, they're building Dawn into the reality. They're sewing Dawn into the fabric of the reality of this world. And that during that time, the fabric of the reality of the world somewhat shifted. Now of course that's something that you can only really take into account once you know everything that happens in season 5, once you know the whole story of Dawn. Right. Um so for me Buffy versus Dracula has always it's it's of the world, it's not of the world. It is a it feels like a dream um and yet it is not. Yeah. Um you know, it's like it's like that in-between space where I feel like the the fabric of the reality of this world is being you know, messed with. Right. So yeah. So at that point, like maybe that's what allows all of this weirdness
0: to happen. Um, But it is really super weird. It's a super weird like the, the first episode of a new season always mm-hmm. feels to me a little bit different on purpose. Everything's different. right. Like yeah. it's mm-hmm. different on mm-hmm. purpose. And we we right. like it that way. I mean, Um, I like I mean, I do. I like to see, oh, hey, you know, here's a shift in the look and feel or the tone or whatever. But you're absolutely right. The Dracula coming in with all of these, I don't want to say, traditional vampire powers but like when we think of most of us when we think of vampires think of Dracula or really probably the pastiche and parody of Dracula is what we think of I mean even Mm -hmm. Xander brings us into that space with Mm -hmm. you know where'd you get that accent Sesame Street and then does Mm -hmm. Count Von Count and Mm -hmm. that's I mean that is our for many of us, like the associations that we have with Dracula is not, right. not Dracula, the novel, mm-hmm. not the Dracula movies that take themselves very seriously, mm-hmm. but this parody of the idea of what a vampire is. And of course, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, as a show, right. up till this point, has not done that. Like, vampires are mm-hmm. a real thing, they're demons, they're fucking dangerous and we need mm-hmm. a slayer to you know keep them yeah. <laughs> from destroying everything I mean this is mm-hmm. serious business and here's but here's Dracula with this kind of I don't know like a goofy seriousness this is what makes me say yeah. this is what makes me like come down really hard on the side of this is camp
1: right. um, mm-hmm.
0: because the whole thing feels like joking and not joking at the same time right Mm -hmm. and it and the jokey the jokiness of this episode in particular gives Mm -hmm. me a lot of feelings um because it seems like the humor is really just women am i right Uh, (laughs) you know like like willow in giles's courtyards you know or Mm -hmm. willow in giles's courtyard says How'd he get inside anyway? And we cut to Joyce. He seemed so nice and normal, a little pale, you know. And, of course, Willow's sage advice is avoid white-skinned men in capes, which I think <laughs> might just be one of As those a general little, life that's, rule. Yeah, yeah, that's just a good... That's good advice for life. <laughs> right. Um But then, of course, that is followed by Joyce's little rap on how hard dating is and how when you girls are older, you'll understand even throwing out the idea of giving up on men altogether, which Mm -hmm. is funny because they're lesbians. Get it? Waka waka. You know, it's like (laughs) women. Am I right? Men. Am I right? Like that's the whole. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of the humor. And yeah, it's. But then. I don't know. Then the seriousness of Dracula's appeal is also part mm-hmm. of this kind of kind of a joke, but not really tone. So he's established mm-hmm. in the cemetery as a joke. You know, yes. I am Dracula. Mm-hmm. And Buffy immediately says, Get out, like with this like <laughs> fangirl <laughs> sort of glee that feels yeah. again like kind of off tonally mm-hmm. for the show. Yeah. But it shifts so quickly to Buffy, Xander, and Willow ooing and awing over Dracula and how cool he is, which is a very mm-hmm. campy, right? I yeah. mean, deep appreciation yeah. for something that high culture would call silly is a big part of what makes camp work. Um, mm-hmm. And it's also just delightful, in my opinion. <laughs> I love them. It's very fun. <laughs> geeking out over Dracula yes. and how cool he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that, all of that, humor but not quite somehow disarms us for that disturbing heightened reality of dracula in buffy's bedroom which is yeah. just straight up intense in a lot of ways mm-hmm. <laughs> like and not in a yeah. not in a, a campy sort of way although camping is intense and i just made a pun that i didn't mean to make. <laughs> anyway <laughs> sorry not sorry Joking, not joking. Joking, not joking. I mean, it's the whole, it's kind of the whole theme of the episode. Mm -hmm. And then, (laughs) I mean, that is some, that is some like serious, like it's, it's maybe a little bit of a wink, 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 nudge, nudge kind of serious with the Mm -hmm. like, you know, she starts to say, she starts to explain he was, and Dracula says, unworthy. He let you go. Like he's doing this, like, I have. Come to have sex with all of Sunnydale, kind of like <laughs> like Euro hot guy yeah. pastiche thing, but we're yeah. taking it so seriously all the way up until the end when the seriousness is defeated with a kind of knowing frivolity. So yeah, case in point, my last four viewing notes are all quotes and are as follows. <laughs> One No, 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 sir. No more chick pit for you. (laughs) Two, how do you like my darkness now? Three, where's the creep that turned me into a spider eating man, bitch? And four, you think I don't watch your movies? You always come back. Which is <laughs> not only a line, but also a line reading that feels yeah. deeply Marty Noxonian to me.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think Noxonian absolutely needs to be an adjective.
0: One hundred percent. One hundred percent. But it's Absolutely It's this I don't know and I don't know if the if the joking not joking, the serious but not serious thing mm-hmm. connects us to the the insertion of dawn at all but it feels it feels tonally weird for Buffy yeah but Mm -hmm. I also really really like it so I don't know what to do with this
1: episode (laughs) well I think that you can enjoy moment to moment in and of itself um I think that for me, I have to read this as a the fabric of the world is being rewritten, you know, rewoven, mm-hmm. I guess. So I think that this episode stands out. It always feels weird to me. When you look at the rest of season five, you know, it doesn't feel like it fits in. And I don't know if that's deliberate or if this is just the writer being enamored with the idea. Um, And as a writer, I can tell you this has happened to me a lot. I am completely familiar with this. You get an idea and you think it's cool and you can't pull it off and you don't care because it's really (laughs) fun. So you just do the thing, you know. Um, And so I've done that before. I am familiar with that. I know how that happens. It does feel
0: that way a little bit.
1: It feels it feels a little bit like wouldn't it be cool if Dracula came to town and then we broke all the rules of the world. Right. And spent an entire episode taking this so seriously. I mean, this this dude bites her she drinks his blood which by the way is exactly what and i don't know he does the just the tip thing but i mean this is exactly the kind of thing that gets slayers pregnant you know um as wait or turns them into vamps right, whatever like, it is that you're looking for in
0: your analysis this in is your how, yeah. no but for real like this is how you wake up yeah. one day and you're buffy the vampire slayer in a different vampire. way. <laughs> like, As a vampire. The Slayer exactly. who is a vampire. I
1: mean. <laughs> the Slayer who is a vampire. It's so strange because that is exactly, and there's a point early, early on where she says, "You, they have to suck your blood and then you have to suck their blood. It's a whole blood sucking thing, you know. Um, and she explains that those are the rules of this world. Those are the rules, right? Yeah. But then we have him say, oh, it's just a little bit. It's not going to turn you. And she's like, OK, you know, yeah. and she and she drinks it. And at the same time, there's all this ridiculousness and all of this world breaking and none of the rules apply anymore because there's this weirdo, you know. Um, So there's all of this. But then we have this. He knows about her power. You know, we have this whole thing, right? Where yeah. he says alone, always yeah. alone. And this actually thematically, I mean, really, like, you know, harmonizes with the rest of the show. Like, Buffy is always alone. That's a common theme that we come back to through the course of the show. All the way to the end, where finally in releasing the Slayer power to all the potentials, she is finally not one girl in all the world. But for 143 episodes of this show, <laughs> she's one girl. Okay. One of sometimes two girls in all the world. <laughs> one right? of a handful. One of a small. One of a handful. <laughs> but even when she has somebody who who shares her power, it is, it's hard for her to share it. It's hard for her to have that space. It's, it almost feels like two slayers can't be in the same space at the same time. It's just too much. You know, she has all of that conflict with faith, you know, that makes it really, really difficult for her. She has conflict with Kendra too, when Kendra's yeah. there, you know? Um, so when we have, um, when she is alone, she is so aware of her aloneness. And when she is not alone, she wants to be alone. She is this it's this constant sense of conflict. But there's something about him because he is also special. Yeah. Right? He's not just any old vampire. Like he's, you know, Dracula. Right. The whole weird accent that he got on <laughs> sale at Walmart and everything, you know? Um, and I say that as somebody who cannot do accents, as y'all know, because you heard the beginning of the show. Um, So all of that feels, they feel somehow deeply connected, even at the same time that they don't belong in the same world. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't, he does not belong here. This is not where
0: he belongs. And it's deeply uncomfortable Um, that he's here in a lot of ways. It is. Even as everyone is completely stoked on it because he like, he's the rock star vampire. Yeah. He also like... Super should not be here. Like, this is
1: not okay. Super doesn't belong here. His existence here, breaking the world, you know. Um, But his specialness also means that he is also always alone. Um, His specialness somehow gives her insight into her own power and her own darkness you know he says your power is rooted in darkness and then when she drinks his blood yeah um she gets all that vision and we see so much of what we saw from restless you know um we see the first slayer Mm -hmm. which as a concept is good execution is terrible um so Mm -hmm. we've already talked about that um but it's it's really interesting to me. Like, this part of it is really interesting to me. The part of it where she allows him to bite her, that, that moment in her room is so intense. You know, it's so... Um, it speaks to something about these two, you know? Yeah. Um, and the way that they sort of reflect each other in a weird way. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me, and the idea that Buffy would crave... Um, you know would crave somebody who can understand her even though she is alone, that somebody can like it, it's it's incredibly powerful to have somebody get it, yeah you know somebody who shares your experience who gets it, you know um so I can see that for her you know but we also revisit this I'm your girl thing yeah I'm your girl I'm just a girl and consequences with Angel Angel says you still my girl and Buffy says always right that's after the whole thing with Faith mm-hmm. um, in Buffy versus Dracula we have her saying to Riley I swear to you I'm your girl Yoko factor we just went through this the initiative officer says she's just a girl and then we cut to Spike <laughs> she's a lot more than yeah. that um, in the gift we have you're just a girl that's what I keep trying to tell everybody right which we'll see at the end of this season Um. And And it's always, you know, one girl in all the world. We always have that. So there's this automatic equating of weakness, ineffectuality, being property with the idea of quote unquote girl. Right. And that's something that Buffy self identifies with, but also her slayer power directly contradicts that, you know? Yeah. And that slayer power, here she is giving herself over as ownership. I am your girl. Right. She says that directly. She says that to Angel. She says that to Riley, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then but then the Slayer part of her cannot be owned, you know, even even to the first Slayer, you are not the source of me. Mm-hmm. For this discussion, we'll ignore the all the racist implications that we're in Restless. We already talked about that. Um, but you are not the source of me. You know, this idea that she has this power that is hers and it is the only thing that keeps her from being just a girl. And yet. That is always something that she is actually reaching towards. So it's a really kind of interesting um, internal conflict with her. Yeah. Um, an identity conflict with her that I always find so interesting whenever that comes up. You know, yeah. that she is both reaching for and rejecting the idea of being just a girl.
0: And also at the end when she's talking to Giles about wanting to know more about her power mm-hmm. and wanting to know more about where she she comes from where she as a slayer comes from.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um yeah. it's this I I feel some kind of way about it because of course it comes yeah. from Dracula. Like it comes from yeah. him saying like, you have this power and there's this darkness in you and I'm mm-hmm. gonna teach you about your power. So she moves from like this one toxic dude, uh-huh. you know, to like teach her to a less toxic dude to te- but like right. the idea that she still needs this, she still needs a, an external male figure to help her connect to the source of her power, which ultimately yeah. arguably I think is, is in fact the first Slayer is this line of, mm-hmm. you know, specifically feminine power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a real there's a real conflict there that I think goes yeah. deeper than being being the slayer versus being just a girl in that mm-hmm. the slayer's power is very explicitly in the world of the show, girl power, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what is that even? What does that even mean? And why and does why she? Why need... can she
1: only access it through men? Why? Do...
0: Yeah, that was exactly mm-hmm. what I was about to say. Why does she need a man to help her access that and make that connection? Because yes, she is alone. The Slayer is alone, um, and the you know the first Slayer mm-hmm. establishes that for us in a way that I think is you know obviously not perfect, but I think really powerful. That something mm-hmm. about Something about the core of the Slayer is being alone, except that the Slayers are all connected to each other in that
1: mm-hmm.
0: when one of them dies, another one is called. So this power is mm-hmm. literally, literally <laughs> moving yeah. from one feminine of center person to another. Yes. And... That is that, in a way is kind of at odds with the idea of being alone. I mean, yes, there can only be yeah. one at any given time, but if the if the power of the slayer, I guess I'm not a hundred percent clear on how the power of the slayer works like is it a is it a finite resource that is mm-hmm. you know like I don't know transferred over to the next person who is i don't know mm-hmm. but the the idea i guess the idea of the slayer and her aloneness mm-hmm. is itself a contradiction in that way yeah 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 because she is part
1: of this you know, this long line of slayers. Not to mention the fact that for since the end of season one, there have always been two slayers. Not, it hasn't been one girl in all the world. Right. You know, we we focus on Buffy, but there's always been two slayers, you know? Um, so I I find it it is interesting and self-contradictory and a lot of really you know kind of um fascinating ways that there are two slayers but she's still alone that it is a feminine is inherently feminine power that she can only access through men right yeah um which i find both well there's the fucking patriarchy again right (laughs) like you know this is your thing but i'm gonna make sure that you only get it through me
0: yeah you know it's also that super limited view of equality that says that what feminism is is women being able to and really we mean white women women being able to do and behave in ways that historically white men have Mm -hmm. you know like the this idea that that what it means for a woman to be empowered is for her to be for her to be able to exist and move through the world in the same way that the the corrupt body of men <laughs> move through the world I'm, this is right it's hard when you have to use words like men and women and what you really mean is like as a yeah. concept you know that exactly as a power structure yeah yeah you know not individual yeah. men and not individual yeah. women and not individual mm-hmm. you know Non-binary and genderqueer folks. But these ideas that we have about the systems that are in place and this is, you know, it's like this is a big discussion to be having around the idea of like what makes (laughs) the Slayer. But I can actually I can bring us back to Buffy versus Dracula. Mm-hmm. Because she asks him. She says, Do you know what a slayer is? And he says, Do you? in this like yeah. <laughs> sassy pants kind of way. But mm-hmm. you know, we're we're really we're we have shifted, we've shifted the tone of Buffy's quest. Is that mm-hmm. the right word? You know, yeah. yet again to where where it becomes this much deeper identity story where she is at the end of this episode is searching for that identity yeah. and connection. She wants to know mm-hmm. not just who she is as Buffy Summers, but who she is as Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Right. And it's really mm-hmm. powerful. And it comes mm-hmm. in this really weird package. Yes,
1: it does. And it's all <laughs> It's all super weird. And I mean, this is the thing, like the the actual uh, and the consequence of Dracula is minimal for something that it comes in and is essentially so disruptive to the narrative of Buffy. You yeah. Know, to, like it comes in and it leaves and then everything's just it's everything's the same, except that now we have a sister. Yeah. Who
0: didn't exist before. Well, and like, I mean, and yeah. it's disruptive to the literal world of the show. You know? Yeah. And I've lived in Sunnydale yeah. for a couple of years now. And you know what I've never noticed? <laughs> <laughs> a big Hawking uh, oh, Castle. A big honking castle. <laughs> like, exactly. Like what is
1: that? You know, like the it, it does the that this is the thing that makes the it feel like a fever dream. It feels like <laughs> the the fabric of reality is being warped. And my presumption is that that is happening because of Dawn. And that once the once whatever tear in the fabric of reality that the monks had to do in order to create dawn is sealed up again, then we go forward, and dawn is the only weird thing, right? You know. Um. So so I find in that context, Dracula fits for me with this extra textual kind of head canoning that the that the fabric of reality is is being warped at this time. Um. So nothing is going to be real. Everything is going to be heightened it is it is through the looking glass you know it's alice in wonderland like this is a little bit of kind of what we're what we're doing in which case the meaning of dracula what all of this is what it says about the world it doesn't it doesn't change our rules for vampires our rules snap right back to what they were before dracula even though we've had this disruption to it um that I look at this and I think it's a it's a fun little foray into weirdness and honestly you know not entirely uh, for me unlike Restless Restless is one of those episodes that I just look at and I'm like yeah okay fine and then move on (laughs) like you know but we also reference Restless here you think you know who you are you think you
0: know what you are what's to come you haven't even begun
1: that to me cements this more into the mythology of Buffy than necessarily to the narrative of Buffy that this feels more like that kind of dream
0: yeah well and to be honest rewatching this episode the first time through after having not seen it for a long time I mm-hmm. was not clear on how much of The episode until really late in the episode, I wasn't clear on how much of this was waking life and how much of it was Buffy's dream life. I kept, in addition to asking myself, is this camp? I kept thinking, I kept going, wait, is this a dream? We know he can show up in dreams. Is it all a dream? Maybe it's all a dream.
1: And and I don't know if that's like
0: holdover from restless, but I'm like, this has got to be a dream because none of this makes any sense. But it feels like it. Yeah. And
1: also in Restless, Riley calls Buffy killer, I right? Know. And here it's repeated, Dracula calls her a killer. And then we have this moment from Buffy where she redefines that and takes over the naming, right? Remember in Restless yep. you get to name things and here is Buffy naming. Yeah, I prefer the term slayer. You know, killer just sounds so naked. Like I paint clowns or something. I'm the good guy, remember? So, right, controlling the name of something is power. The word killer versus the word slayer, even though what she's actually doing, her actual actions are unchanged by it. But yeah. it's how how you form the narrative. Narrative is the meaning in something, in the story, you know? Um, so I don't know how killer relates to clown painting. That also feels very <laughs> restless dream sequency. Like, that feels like a strange
0: space. I think that is maybe a low-key John Wayne Gacy reference he didn't paint oh. clowns but he was himself a clown and he was the oh. clown killer so we have the association between I mean we have the association between clowns and creepiness and killing from oh yeah that's lots already of sources there. but
1: it was clown painting. Like, like I
0: paint clowns or something yeah. like that. where That was where I was like, OK, I
1: don't I didn't I didn't make that association. It's a weird like line. A, a pop culture thing. There. It's yeah. a weird line. It is a really weird line. Um, it is really weird. But yeah. 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 And then and then we go into this identity work. Right. I'm the good guy. Right. And he yeah. says, but your power is rooted in darkness. Yeah. And so her figuring out how to understand her power while still maintaining that identity. I'm the good guy. I'm not a killer. I'm a slayer. That's different. Yeah. You know? Um I like that identity work. I think it's interesting. At the same time. Yeah.
0: Feels like a dream.
1: Dialogue is
0: dream dialogue. It Yes. Um, it's dream dialogue because it's that yeah. heightened emotional reality again. Yeah. It's all so amped up. This whole episode feels really dialed up stylistically, visually. Yes. Especially Mm -hmm. from a from a writing standpoint. I mean, it's it's Mm -hmm. Marty Noxonian. I'm just gonna (laughs) it is it is Noxonian
1: dialed to eleven. Yeah. Um, there's so like the whole Xander thing. Okay, the Xander thing is goddamn adorable. I always laugh at him being under the Dark Prince's thrall, the master Bader. Yep. (laughs) The the Dark Prince Bader, you know? Um, All of this stuff. Like when Riley goes out after Buffy and pulls off her scarf, you know, and then says, I knew it, you're under the thrall of the Dark Prince. See, it's thrall, you know? Um, All of it feels so ridiculous and yet it's so... It's so fun it's and it's fun. so funny. And Xander, when he comes out with the torch and he's so pissed off, like I have, I love that whole run that he does. Where it's like, that's it. you know, That's it. I'm um, tired.
0: I'm tired of being I'm the guy. And I'm like, oh, I yeah. Know.
1: <laughs> I know. Poor Xander. Um, I, the guy that gets the funny syphilis. I just, I love, uh, I love all of that. Like I, I find delight in it. I delight in Willow constantly trying to reassure Giles. Oh, Giles falling into the porn pit. On the one hand, I'm like, oh, God, yes, here we go. Please, let's have all these women crawling all over. But then at the same time, I'm like, oh, my God, it's so cute. And I
0: love Giles. And he's so defensive at the end about, I wasn't making time. I was was just about to, you know, he's clearly like trying to, everyone is trying to scrape their dignity back together after all of this. Yes. Yes. It's really... It's there's something so charming about it.
1: Yeah, it really there is a lot of charm in it. There's a lot of sweetness. And, you know, while we're in this very um, kind of strange reality, um, Giles, like the the emotional through line of his sub story here that he's going to leave. You know, he doesn't have a place here. He's having um, Willow scan all of his books so that they have everything. They have access to everything that they need. You can always call me, but he's going to find, you know, he's going to find a a way to, to move on with his life. No longer wearing sweaters. He's got a button-down no. shirt now, which, of course, is very nicely ripped open by the uh, the three sex vamps. Um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, like he's he's a new Giles. You know, he's ready to to like release his old identity as Watcher, as you know, as Buffy's, you know, pseudo father and move on with his life and go back to England, you know. Um so at the end, when Buffy says, I need you to teach me, I need you to be my watcher, that emotionally we follow that line all the way through and it's really, really sweet. Yeah. I love that yeah. that scene. I think it's so nice. I want you
0: to be my work um, dad
1: again.
0: It's really I want sweet. you to be my work dad.
1: I know it's so sweet. And I just I absolutely love it. And it's so touching. But I mean, in an episode that is ridiculous, that breaks the world, um, that that does all that lives in almost this dream state. Um that emotional through line with Giles is very real and very anchored in everything that Buffy is, you know. Um so I love that. I think that that's um really adorable. I love the opening on the beach when Tara is snarking with everybody and she's just part of the team. It's all we really get of Tara. Uh but I freaking love it except for that one jealous moment where she's like you thought he was sexy, which actually I read Willow's response to Tara as as reading jealousy into it.
0: But I, I read more curiosity and yeah. from Tara than jealousy. Yeah. I read it that way too. Um, that it's yeah. less maybe maybe there's a little a little tinge of jealousy or insecurity there on Tara's part, yeah. but mostly It's Willow doing the kind of oh shit backpedaling thing when you realize, oh, I said something wrong. Oh, I said something that perhaps I should not
1: have said or I should have given more context. Let me let me layer some context onto this that I've dropped here. Let me just go
0: back and like retcon some meaning (laughs) into what I just said.
1: exactly so Tara's not in this very much but I love where she is I love how she's here you know um, it's all it's nice to see her being truly truly part of of the group um so that was really fun there's a lot of stuff in here that's really fun I love Anya you know remembering her her times with uh, with
0: Dracula and welcome Um, to season five and Emma Caulfield in the opening credits I know. I squealed! I'm so excited. I
1: love her so, so much. Excited. I mean, I I hate that they don't give her, they don't give her more to do. They don't give her everything that she's capable of doing, but what she does is always brilliant. She's always wonderful. I love her in every you know every scene that she's in, even when they're making her the comedy mule. I just I love her. She's so great. Yeah. Um. So she's really fun. Um. Riley. Um, <laughs> Okay, here's Do you the have thing. a moment of Riley? I, I have a moment of Riley. I actually have some sympathy for Riley's insecurity in this episode. Um, Buffy is sneaking out of bed at night. And whether he knows that or not, he knows it to a certain degree. Yeah. Like, you know? Yeah. Um, I absolutely hate how he can't just go to Buffy and say, I'm feeling insecure. We need to talk about this. At the same time, you know, like, I get it. Because every single time he has actually tried to talk to Buffy, she shut him down. Yup. She shuts him down every single time. She does not want to talk to him. She wants to have sex with him. She wants to flirt with him. And she wants to fight, you know, alongside him, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, But I don't think she wants to talk to him because I think that if they talk, like the the real problems in this relationship are going to, you know, become apparent and she doesn't want to see it. Um, but his interaction with Spike is so much more direct and honest than any of his talks with Buffy. And then Spike knows exactly where to hit him. Go home to your super honey and have a nice safe snog. Yeah. You know? Um Spike I love how Spike can always see to the heart of everything and Spike
0: is adorable in his response to Dracula. Spike too. on Dracula is mm-hmm. among my favorite things in this episode. I mean for all of his queerness and I don't mean gayness, mm-hmm. I mean outside of the normness Spike yes. has no time for Dracula and his fancy pants ways. <laughs> like, it is so good. I know. Poncy oh, bugger owes me 11 pounds for one thing. Like, Spike, Spike knows better than to take mm-hmm. Dracula seriously. It's almost like Spike yes. is our only anchor to the world before A Big Honking Castle showed up in Sunnydale. Right. Like, it's... In the same way, I mean, I hate to make this connection because we're done with Adam, but in the yeah. same way that Adam is the only one not affected in Superstar, Adam is yeah. the one who mm-hmm. can see, wait a minute, this is the world is wrong. This isn't how mm-hmm. it's supposed to be. Spike, you know, everyone is fawning over Dracula or freaking out over Dracula, and Spike mm-hmm. is just like, you know, bug eaters and special dirt. Like, he does not <laughs> care. He does not care. Yeah. This is just, mm-hmm. this is just the, the, Dracula to Spike is just a vampire who ruined being a vampire for everyone else. Exactly, who like sold out? You know, <laughs> it's like it used to be about it used to be about the blood sucking
1: man. Like <laughs> right, it, you, we used to have a mission, man. Right. You know, and yeah. now and now he's made it all about these like little tricks, and he just calls them little tricks. He actually says an offensive word, which I'm not is, gonna repeat it, but but yeah. it's so
0: funny because this comes on yeah. the heels of Spike in restless in giles's Mm dreams so i don't know how yes actual uh, actually authentic to spike that is but spike in restless doing his whole showbiz Mm -hmm. gig where that's
1: exactly what dracula is that's what dracula is so yeah I, i i don't know i don't know i think that dracula i think buffy versus dracula is deeply deeply tied into restless that it is almost it feels to me like a dream sequence you know Um, and then of course at the end we get Dawn yes hello sweet summer's child right (laughs) you know uh, we're going to talk about her in a lot more detail later but this is a um, a, an unsettling moment a destabilizing a world destabilizing moment at the end of this episode in which we are living in reality but reality has suddenly been completely shifted and that seems to be all of Buffy versus Dracula is it's reality but you know it's not really reality. It's a weird reality. It's a different reality. Everything from here is going to be different. So Buffy versus Dracula has always been tough for me cuz I I don't like the way that it mucks with the reality of the world. I like for my world <laughs> to stay Consistent in its reality, <laughs> somewhat less shifty. Thank you very much. Somewhat <laughs> less shifty, and that and a lot of that has to do with my own personal experience in my actual life. Um, you know, so I mean, I understand that I may be a little bit more sensitive to that than than a lot of other people, and and less forgiving of it than a lot of people. At the same time, I think that the way that Buffy versus Dracula kind of reflects restless, um, speaks to a dreamy, uh, half reality, half not space. Mm-hmm. Um, And there are some really good and fun things in it. But, you know, Noelle,
0: what are you wearing? (laughs) So sometimes I use this section of the script to just kind of go off on, like, clothing choices that I love. But here we have some real meaning. I mean, we always have real meaning inserted into costuming. That is the art of costume design. I'm not meaning to downplay the role of, you Mm -hmm. know, the costume department. Um, Yes. However, sometimes they really, really hit it hard and I love it so Mm -hmm. much. I mean, we have in Buffy versus Dracula, we have Buffy and Xander in matching Dracula Thrall pink. Yes, I noticed that. I mean, it's it's absolutely has to be deliberate. It's so deliberate. His shirt Mm -hmm. are exactly
1: the same tone of pink.
0: Yep, they
1: and they Mm -hmm. look great together. Walking up to that big haunted castle, they do because she's wearing the black top and he's got the black shirt underneath the pink shirt. I
0: love the way that they're matching. It looks great. It's mm-hmm. clearly like they are dyed to match. It's a wonderful. Yes. And of course it's pink. Right. Because being right. under Dracula's spell is a deeply feminine or effeminate state. I mean, yes, see above. The association of really girl cheesy. with weakness. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And how mm-hmm. Xander's Xander's Dracula hypnotized state mm-hmm. is not feminine but it is effeminate in that it is unmanly and i'm right i'm using these words very carefully <laughs> um right. you know and then he <laughs> he calls himself out a little bit you know yeah he calls himself a spider-eating man bitch which is a really <laughs> which is a lovely written phrase but yes. also really speaks to the way that Dracula's appeal is meant to work or the the way that Dracula's mm-hmm. appeal functions within the world. Mm-hmm. Um and it's a it's a it's a queering of Xander and again I don't mean in a yeah in a homosexual sort of way. I mean in a, <laughs> a we're we're doing we are interestingly gendered when we are yeah. under the thrall of the Dark Prince. Um, mm-hmm. And I do want to I want to link that back to ideas of camp and being cheesy. I mean, camp mm-hmm. in that context, in the context of aestheticism, connects mm-hmm. to connects to actual literal queerness within the world. It comes from a French word concept. I'm mm-hmm. not going to get into the history lesson of that, <laughs> but there is a, there is absolutely a queerness to camp and in that there is a queerness to the thrall of the Dark Prince. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. And we sum it up visually in the costumes with pink (laughs) for some reason. I I don't know. Mm -hmm. Pink for girls. But there's also, I mean, there's a lot of pink in this episode, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, Anya is rocking a pink two-piece at the beach and she Mm -hmm. looks just adorable. (laughs) Willow and Tara are kind of couples matchy again with their fuchsia tops and skirts Mm -hmm. and Willow's crushed velvet, not quite a muscle tee with the giant rose on it feels so representative of Willow's funky fashion sense, but with a little bit of a grown up edge to it. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. of course, new season, everybody looks a little bit more grown up. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Plus, that top in particular is giving me Gertrude Stein roses, a roses, a rose vibes, and Georgia O'Keeffe <laughs> looking at flowers real close up vibes. <laughs> and I just love a redhead in fuchsia vibes. So yeah. I'm just, I'm so for it. I'm so for Willow's whole look in this episode. It feels very Willow in it a is. we are now mm-hmm. a, we are now in a new space with willow place yeah.
1: yeah which i really super love i loved all of that and I actually noticed it i usually don't notice the outfits but i noticed it this time so i'm feeling very proud of myself
0: <laughs> um all right so what's your girl power moment of the week
1: oh not with a girl pal bit it
0: is a tie between how do you like my darkness now and mm-hmm. you think i don't watch your movies uh, right. and in fact I might have to give it to you think I don't watch your movies because that fits so nicely into the whole parody, pastiche, campiness of this episode. Yeah, throwing
1: in a little genre savvy. Yeah. You know, on top of it. Yeah. So yeah, that is it's very, very fun. I like the how do you like my darkness now? I thought that was a really good moment, but because everything in this in this episode is so I think that line would play a
0: lot better in something that was a little more anchored in reality. The how do you like my darkness now line? How you like my darkness Yeah. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you're right about that. Yeah. All right. So what's your favorite part? <laughs> it is Riley saying, no, 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 sir. No more chick pit for you. <laughs> just First off, just a delightful yeah. line. It's just mm-hmm. it is well written, well delivered. It's Riley at yeah. his cowboy guy best. And I yes. just love the pairing of Riley and Giles. Giles, Yeah, it's kind of sweet. Riles? I, <laughs> you know what? Never mind. Never mind. That is not an avenue we need to explore. Um I I love Riley being cowboy guy. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: no, but I, I think it's very nice. I like Riley being cowboy guy too. Uh but my favorite part is the Giles when Giles uh Giles' face when Buffy asks him to be her watcher again Um, knowing what all of that means to him especially when when Buffy doesn't know Buffy doesn't have that context she doesn't know that he's planning on leaving Um, I love that it's just the sweetest and and with everything with all the reality of this episode being so thrown in the air having something that is
0: emotionally anchored for me was really really nice in this episode yeah and bringing it back around to that relationship that Mm -hmm. we love between the two of them
1: All right. If you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join and come find us on social media. I am at Lonnie Diane Rich on Twitter, and Noel is at Noel Allowed on Instagram, and the
0: hashtag is Still Pretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media producers who support us on Patreon at the Power Producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad free right now. So thank you to our February producers, Sarah Shelley. Kristen, Alice, Noelle, Erica, Abigail, and Jonathan. And this week's special message for our power producers. I think we've just put our finger on why we're the sidekicks. <laughs> to find out how you too can support Chiprish Media, visit patreon.com
1: chiprish Other ways to show your support. Write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the
0: show. Or if you're going out, why don't you take your sister? We will be back next time with The Real Me, the second episode of season five. Until then, no more butt monkey.